Do you ever make things harder for yourself? You do something that feels good in the moment, but you know it'll make you feel worse later, and somehow you just can't help yourself? People call this self-sabotage, and yes, it may be sabotaging yourself, but I don't like to think of it that way. See, we don't self-sabotage on purpose. It's not like we want to make things harder on ourselves. We don't want to fall off our goals or our healthy habits. Sometimes it just happens. And maybe we don't know any other way. We think we can't control it. Instead of self-sabotage, I think of it as poor coping strategies. We do things to soothe ourselves when we feel stress or fear or something else. And we end up doing something that might comfort us in the moment, but actually it hurts us in the long run. We think we're going to feel better. We want to distract our minds. But in fact, we're destroying our own progress. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. How to change negative coping strategies into positive ones. Welcome to the XO Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Rishma Walji. This is a podcast for people who want to be more intentional in life. I use my experience from over 20 years in clinical practice as a naturopathic doctor, my understanding of research from my PhD, and my real life experiences trying to live my own XO or extraordinary life. If you want more resources, you can check out my website, livingxo.com. I have a free quiz, a free workshop, a lot of free resources. So check it out, livingxo.com. Just to be clear, I do this too. I can totally make things harder for myself. When I'm not paying attention to my day or my thoughts or my time or my relationships, I make things harder for myself. I will procrastinate. I'll eat junk food when I'm upset. I will pick fights with my husband. If you're listening, my love, just so you know, I'm always right. (laughs) When I do these things that are self-sabotaging, it spirals because when I'm not eating well, I don't feel good, and then I don't want to exercise, and then I feel worse, and then it continues. I'm going to share a secret with you. I used to have a junk food drawer and I would secretly bust out chocolate when I wasn't feeling good or when I was tired or when I wanted some time for myself. I would hide it and eat it when no one was watching. So here's my question. Why do we do these things? Why do we make choices that go against our best interests? Choices that leave us feeling worse and unfulfilled. We make decisions that maybe feel good in the moment but eventually they're worse for us over time. Today, we're going to explore why we hold on to these choices and more importantly, how to break free from those patterns. And the first thing to realize is that it is a pattern. It's a quick fix, a temporary distraction, something that can provide relief in the face of stress or fear or discomfort, but over time, it evolves into a destructive habit, one that we're not really paying attention to, It's typically a reaction. You feel stress, you worry. You need a break, you scroll through your phone. You feel sad or stressed, you eat. Whatever your pattern, it's a reaction. And usually it's because somewhere along the way in your life, you learned that doing that thing gives you a soothing feeling. 
It feels good or satisfying, even if just for a split second, even if it's not good for you in the long term. So whenever you feel stressed or bad or scared or upset, you end up turning to that soothing feeling again and again and again. And it becomes the way you cope with stress or uncomfortable emotions. It can happen with our behaviors, things that we do, or it can happen with our thoughts or even with our words. Let's say someone rejects you. You might feel like you should never put yourself out there again. If your partner disagrees with you, you might feel like they're not listening and you end up getting defensive or reactive or you raise your voice. All of these patterns are reactionary. And believe it or not, they almost do feel good in the moment. They feel familiar and soothing. It's almost like a warm blanket wrapped around you. But in fact, what it really is, is quicksand. It's sucking you down away from the life that you want. If you haven't yet seen my TEDx talk on intentional decision making, you can check it out online. I shared a really vulnerable story of an experience I had when I was in school. And actually what I didn't share on that talk was that there were many more experiences like that, ones that solidified many of my reactions. And then in the talk, I shared why we end up making decisions that aren't serving us and how to move away from them and how to move towards more conscious choices. Now, I'm not going to repeat all that if you've already seen my TED Talk. If you haven't, you can check it out on YouTube. Just search my name, Rishma Walji, plus Intentional Decisions, and you should be able to find it. It's also linked on my YouTube channel. But today, what I am going to talk about is how to change those coping strategies. I'm going to give you more tips on how you can make more conscious, more intentional, and more beneficial choices for your life. So the first thing is to recognize your patterns. Actually, let's back up for a second. I'm assuming here that you know what your coping strategy is, that you know what you do that feels like a distraction, but actually is destruction. So if you don't know what that is, first figure that out. You have to identify the behavior. Maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's an action. For example, you get angry and then you yell instead of communicating your feelings. You wait until the last minute to do something instead of planning ahead. You eat sugar instead of vegetables. (laughs) To be clear, I'm not judging. My goodness, oh, we all do this all the time. And I'm also not saying that you can never get angry or never eat sugar or never work on a tight deadline because we're trying to be aware here. And if none of these examples work for you, first figure out what does. It could be a habit, an emotional reaction, a negative thought. Maybe you think, oh, I can never get this right. This will never work for me. I could never do that. That can also be a reaction or a pattern because thoughts can feel soothing. They're familiar, even if they're limiting, even if they're negative. So first identify what it is that you're doing that feels soothing, but it's actually destroying you or destroying your ability to move towards your goals. And then once you know what it is, let's call that the behavior, identify your behavior. Once you know what that behavior is, then you can identify your pattern. When do you do this? How often do you do this? And once you know what your pattern is, then you can start recognizing your triggers. What makes you react this way? 
So now you've identified the behavior, the patterns, and the triggers. Once you do that, the next thing is just to notice. I know it sounds simple, but I want you to notice what is happening. Notice how you feel when you turn to the food or the yelling or the watching TV or the scrolling to your phone. Notice how it makes you feel in the moment. And then notice how you feel after, after that initial soothing feeling. Notice how it actually harmed you, how it actually made things harder for you. This is the part that most people skip. We want to change a behavior and we say, okay, next time I'm stressed, I'm going to not eat that donut. Instead, I'm going to have a salad. But how long does that last? Probably not long because eating a salad typically doesn't soothe the stress unless that's the pattern that you've created in your mind. Most people want to turn to the chocolate or the donut or the carbs. Talking calmly when you're upset doesn't give you the same emotional release, at least not at first. Being patient and confident doesn't feel productive when you're worried or feeling a lot of pressure. But when you're feeling better, you realize that maybe it wasn't the best thing. You have to try again. You have to write down a new goal, make a new resolution, and start all over again. But the act of noticing, noticing that what you're doing doesn't feel as good as you thought it would, noticing that you're actually harming your life, Noticing that you're avoiding a feeling or an emotion or a challenge, the act of noticing will help you to untie the connection between the trigger and your reaction. It will help you to uncouple the thing that makes you do it and the thing that you do without thinking. The idea here is that you want to respond instead of react. It brings what is subconscious and automated into what is conscious and mindful. Just notice. Now, to be clear, it takes energy. It's not going to be easy at first. It takes energy and effort to pay attention to the things that are important to me, to the things that I want to make sure I'm intentional about, the things that I want to make sure happen in my life, like taking care of my mental and physical health, taking care of my relationships and my family, And no, it doesn't mean I should pretend to listen to my family while I'm secretly planning my grocery list. I've totally done that. What I want to make sure is that the things that are important to me don't fall to the bottom of my priority list. And more importantly, I want to make sure that I'm not getting in my own way. And this is what happens to so many of us when we rely on our default reactions when we ignore our emotions, when we hope that they're gonna go away, we make things harder on ourselves. Okay, so the next thing we're gonna talk about is action. But before we get there, if you have something that is emotional, whether it's a behavior, a trigger, a reaction, something that you've identified that is related to emotions, then you might want to check out my free workshop on emotional regulation. It's on my website, livingxo.com slash emotions. It's a free workshop on how to regulate your emotions, how to balance your emotions. You'll probably find it really helpful if this is one of your triggers or one of your behaviors. So check it out, livingxo.com forward slash emotions. Okay, so now let's get into action. You've identified the behavior, you've identified the pattern, you've identified the trigger. And you've spent some time noticing. 
because that's what we want to do to take it out of an autopilot response. We want to make it more conscious. So now we need to take action. First, it was identifying the behavior. Then you had to know your pattern, figure out your triggers, and then notice. Specifically noticing the links between your patterns and your triggers. What you do that isn't helping you, why you do it, how it feels, how it's actually hurting you instead of soothing you. We're trying to break the patterns, so we need to start cutting away at the rope that links the triggers and the patterns. So the next thing is take action. And at first, action can feel like it's going against instinct. It's almost uncomfortable. Taking action can feel like we're climbing uphill. And that's when we need to put more energy into making changes that will improve our lives. Time and energy that we don't always feel like we have which means either I let myself get carried away with the momentum of life or I choose to spend my time and energy on what's important to me and I let the other things go. And this is the hard part, right? I don't want to motivate myself. I don't want to put my phone away. I don't want to exercise, but I do want to do amazing things in life. I do want to focus on my family and my work. I do want to feel fit and active. And here's where I think the general conversation about personal growth is skewed. So much of what I see online is about discipline and productivity and habits, all of which are important, but all of that relies on willpower and clarity of thought and determination, none of which you have when you're dealing with stress or uncomfortable feelings. So what do we do? The action we take needs to retrain our subconscious brain. I almost think of it as manipulating my brain to think the way that I want it to, to do good rather than evil in my life. It needs to break the existing trigger pattern reaction and offer a new one. So I'm going to offer a few tips here, but if you haven't yet listened to my episode on how to really create a habit, I talk more about it there. So feel free to check it out after this one. I talked about how it doesn't really take 21 days to create a habit. Instead, it takes shifting your associations and your perspectives. So it's kind of similar here. If you have a negative coping strategy that is sabotaging your goals and your dreams and your life, there is one specific action that I want you to take. After you've recognized your patterns and your triggers, after you've noticed the connection in a meaningful, conscious way, I want you to create self-supportive coping mechanisms. So instead of self-sabotaging coping strategies, we're going to start creating self-supportive ones. You're going to start practicing, repeating, drilling it into your subconscious that handling your triggers in another healthier way is better than what you're currently doing. You're going to create an alternate pattern. And it's not going to be conscious. It's not going to be relying on willpower. We're going to actually try to get into your subconscious. So for example, if you want to reach into your junk food drawer when you've had a bad day, first stop. Recognize what you're doing and find something else. And here's the important part. Something else that soothes you. Something that makes you feel calm, better about yourself, better about your stress, better about your emotions. 
something that helps you manage your emotions. Because if you feel like you have to have willpower or that you're denying yourself some satisfaction, then it's not going to work. We're trying to build a new connection, a new thread between your trigger and your reaction. We want to change your reaction into a response. So I'm going to give you some examples here to help. So as you probably figured out, I love dessert. (laughs) I love sugar. And I know when I tell people this, they're always surprised because I was in naturopathic medicine for decades and I always talked about nutrition. And for the most part, I do try to eat well, but I have a weakness and I have cravings just like any other human being. So when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, when I feel like having a treat, I reach for sugar. It's a pathway that was created a long time ago and those ties are strong. Because of course, they get reinforced by the fact that sugar tastes good and it makes my brain feel good and I feel stimulated and energized. But when I started really paying attention, when I started noticing, I realized that after I feel good and energized, I crash. No one talks about the crash. But inevitably, maybe an hour or so later, I will start yawning. I'll feel like flopping down on the sofa and I will feel like I need another sugar rush. So now I've noticed my pattern, my triggers, and what's really happening. Not to mention that I get grumpy when I eat sugar. That one I denied like crazy for a long time because I really didn't want to admit it, but it's true. I have less patience, less calm in my mind when I'm eating sugar. So I tried to create self-soothing behaviors, and it's not easy, but what really made a difference was that I created a new connection in my brain, a connection between stress and my coping strategy. And now I have more connections. I have other options now. And so when I pause and notice, I can choose my other options. So when I'm stressed or tired, I will often go for a walk, or I'll take a nap, or I'll call a friend. I'll breathe. And then I ask myself, do I still want that sugar? Like really want it? Is it a response that I'm consciously aware of? Or is it a reaction that I'm doing on autopilot? And yes, I eat sugar sometimes. I wish I could tell you that I never did, but that wouldn't be very realistic and it wouldn't be honest. And frankly, I do still enjoy it. But now I eat much less. In fact, my kids the other day, I was eating something and I was like, oh, this is too sweet. And I think it's because I don't eat sugar as often anymore. So things taste more sweet when I do eat them. My kids noticed and they said, you always think everything tastes so sweet. And that was never my identity before. I would always eat the sweet things. But now I eat it just a little bit for the joy and pleasure of it, not to fill an emotional void, not to fill an energy low. I have rules around it. I think I should actually expand more on that in another episode because rules around sugar help me make decisions about when to eat it and when not to eat it, especially when I'm feeling weak. I have smaller quantities of it. And as a result, I'm much less likely to turn sugar into a coping mechanism. And it's less likely to self-sabotage. I know this is going to take time and repetition, but when you become really aware consciously aware of your automatic reactions, you can start to finally change them. I will give you another example that's emotional. I have already talked about this. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but if you want more information, go back to my episode on the connected parent. 
there was a time a number of years ago where I was really frustrated with stress and the sugar aside, I was also taking out my stress on my family. I would like snap at them and it's kind of, you know, I don't like to admit that this happens to me, but I do get very impatient when I'm overwhelmed and when I'm feeling a lot of stress. And so that's not the kind of person I want to be. It's not the mom that I want to be. It's not the person I want to show up as for my kids. So I was trying to find a way to balance my stress. And of course, people tell you, yes, go for a walk, exercise, eat well, get enough sleep. And I did all of those things. But I needed something to help me regulate my emotions. And I needed something to help me think of my parenting in a different way. Because what I was doing was feeling like, oh, this is more work for me. This is another thing I have to do, which is not a healthy way to approach parenting, at least when you're stressed. Like, of course, it is a lot of work, but that's not how I wanted to view it. I really wanted to shift my brain and my attitude towards my parenting because I'm not the only one going through things. My kids are also going through things. And so I spent time journaling and retraining my brain that way. And so I created the Connected Parent Journal. You can get it on my website if you want a copy for yourself, livingxo.com forward slash shop. Essentially, it's a bunch of different prompts. It's pretty big. Lots of prompts on helping me see my kids differently, helping me empathize with my kids, helping me retrain my brain and the way that I look at parenting, the way that I look at them as people rather than just, you know, people in my life who know how to push my buttons and make me do lots of work, which is, of course, not how I want to think of them. I love my kids beyond anything. And so I wanted to retrain my brain that instead of when I'm stressed, just yelling or taking up my frustrations, I wanted to train my brain to be more empathetic, to be able to calm down, to be able to see them with love even when I was stressed. And that journal helped me a lot. So if you want to know more information, go back to the Connected Parent episode and you can always check out the journal if you're interested on my website, livingxo.com slash shop. So I'm interested, what reactions are you trying to change? What have you tried before? What worked? What didn't work? I'd love to connect and learn more about what you're struggling with. You can always reach out to me through the website livingxo.com slash contact. And if you have a particular thing that you're working on, please feel free to share it with me. I will do my best to help you in whatever way I can. Thanks so much for joining me. Until next time. 